Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay, you can hear me? Takes a lot to get ready for a talk. (laughs) Just give me a moment. We'll get there. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Tonight I want to uh, talk about transforming suffering into happiness. Sound good? And I want to actually just point out that that's what we're doing here, whether we realize it or not. <clears throat> this morning, um, Sally gave those instructions on Vedana, noticing the pleasant, unpleasant neutrality of experience. That the Buddha put as the second foundation of mindfulness after, right after the body, even before mind states. And he said, this is the secret. This is the key to shift our relationship to the world, to life, to ourselves, to experience And this is how I see it working. You are probably familiar with, sometimes they're called the three poisons or the three roots of suffering. Greed, hatred, delusion. Or attachment, aversion, ignorance. Same thing. When we are experiencing any one of those three, we are creating suffering for ourselves. In the moment that we are 
grasping, attaching, greed around the pleasant, there is a contraction that is leading to suffering in the moment, as you probably have seen, and leads to more suffering because that's the habit that you're practicing. With an unpleasant experience, the usual response that most humans have is aversion, pushing away. The whole range of um, aversive uh, descriptions, hatred, anger, ill will, cruelty, aggression. Those are states of suffering in the moment and lead to more suffering because you're practicing them. It's a state of contraction, like we said before about those akusla, unwholesome states. And when we are experiencing a neutral moment, we usually either space out on it, not here, get lost in our fantasies or thoughts, or we find it boring after a little while, so it turns into an unpleasant experience with its accompanying reaction as usual for most, most people, or we are um, very, uh, we become attentive and it becomes a, a delightful state which can easily be grasped on. So he says, those are the roots of suffering, greed, hatred, delusion, Attachment, aversion, ignorance, same thing. The roots of happiness are in Buddhist uh, teaching. They're opposite. Non-greed or relinquishment, letting go, renunciation, as Don talked about, simplifying, letting go of what we don't really need, or in its fullest expression, generosity, non-greed, generosity, non-hatred, or kindness, loving kindness, metta, a spirit of goodwill, non-delusion, or seeing clearly what's here without spacing out, without moving it into boredom. And ultimately, we'll get into this later in the talk, not taking ownership of experience, which is a, a, a fuller um, understanding of delusion when we take ownership and we identify with our experience. So those are the roots of happiness and well-being, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. Every moment that you're mindful and you simply notice the Vedana, oh, this is a pleasant moment. And I fully support you not missing it, 
enjoying it, appreciating it, without grasping at it. Oh, this is a pleasant moment. I can be here for this without needing to possess it, knowing that it's going to change. An unpleasant moment without adding on that reaction of aversion. Oh, and this is an unpleasant moment. This is a a really unpleasant moment, but not recoiling or having an adversarial relationship with your experience. Just seeing, and this is unpleasant, knowing that like everything else, it passes. Or in a neutral moment, being clear, seeing it clearly without having any kind of ownership of it, but simply being present in a clear way. That's wisdom, clarity of seeing. So every single moment that you are simply noticing the the Vedana without the reaction, you are not adding to your suffering and you're actually planting seeds for well-being and happiness. You with me so far? Um, now, I, I, I want, I'll say something a little bit about my own practice or, around this. Um, as uh, if you've sat uh, on retreats that I've, uh, I've taught, um, then you know that before I got into Buddha Dharma, I was, uh, I, I was more of a, a bhakti, a bhakta, the bhakti path, devotional path. You know, I read Be Here Now, changed my life. Ramdas was my my hero. He he's I said I think he pointed me to get into this. And um and his guru, Neem Karoli Baba, Maharaji, uh affectionately uh called, um, he had three um three instructions. Love everyone, serve everyone, remember God. And when I got into uh, that scene with Ramdas after after I'd been practicing for about a year, year and a half, and I was really lonely in in New York, and Joseph told me about this uh, this scene that Ramdas was doing, um, and uh, but I was really sold on Buddha Dharma by that time. And everybody was chanting and using their mala beads and Sri Ram, Jai Ram. And by that point, it seemed like, oh, give me the clarity, the pristine purity of the Dharma. But then the Dharma, I was saying, I needed more juice. And so I, I really longed for that. And I spent nearly... I spent a, a year in that scene. It was a small uh, um, invitation-only scene. And, um, and I was going back and forth. You know, am I a bhakta? Am I a Buddhist? Bhakta, Buddhist. And one day it occurred to me, oh, the three instructions that we're supposed to have, love everyone, serve everyone, remember God. And it hit me one day, that's exactly the same as Non-hatred, love everyone, 
non-greed, serve everyone, non-delusion, remember God. And as it said, the third Zen patriarch says, there is one dharma, not many. Distinctions arise from the clinging needs of the ignorant. And I saw, oh, there is different ways that you can express this, these same basic principles of how it works. So I want to uh, talk in a bit more depth about uh, each of these and reminding us throughout that in every moment that we're mindful, we are cultivating these three wholesome states that are the root of happiness. So greed or grasping, as Sally mentioned, in that the wheel of dependent origination, there's contact with the sense doors. You have a sight, an object, uh, a functioning eye, organ, and consciousness. And when the three come together, contact. And from contact, there is Vedana, feeling. And from Vedana, there is, if you're not aware of it, grasping. And that starts the wheel that gets you around and around in suffering. And I'm sure you've seen this for yourself probably many times today. Have you noticed You're sitting here just minding your own business and all of a sudden a thought comes of somebody that you care about or that you miss or something that you'd really look forward to or maybe there's one sound that you're waiting for. You know, there's... (laughs) Lots of different experiences. There's one sound that counts. And suddenly grasping the wanting mind takes hold and nothing else in your universe counts except when are they going to ring that damn bell? And so we miss out on the present moment when we're here. And I invite you to just explore as you're practicing these days, don't judge yourself when you get caught in the wanting mind. Simply notice how it feels, how different it is from the moment before there was that stimulus. And you might find that the desire comes and if you keep on noticing, it will pass sooner or later. I remember on my, um, uh, one of my first uh, long retreats and I had, um, uh, I had what's a very common experience um, of a Vipassana romance. VR, 
Sure. Yeah. This is before I met my wife, who I'm happily married to for 40 years. So this is a long time ago. Right? And there was somebody on this three-month retreat who just did it for me, right? <laughs> and, I, and finally, it, it got to be so much, I, I just decided I, I wanted to sit in my room, you know, because I just didn't, I wanted to guard against the sense, sense doors. So I'd be sitting and just really getting into the practice. And then I could feel this kind of wave in the distance that the thought of this person. And I got pretty good at it. And I just, just I kind of braced myself and just noted Desire, 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 desire. And I just stay with desire, 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 And it was like, you know, if you know Odysseus, the Odyssey, and he says, tie me to the mast as they're passing the sirens. You know, don't, you put cotton in your ears, you plug up your ears, you don't, Listen to them because the siren song was, you know, the magical trance. Don't untie me no matter what I say. And then they get by the siren's song. I'm your captain. Let me go. Untie me. How dare you not pay attention to me? And then after a while. Oh, yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah. Thanks so much for not untying me. It's kind of like that. You can actually see <laughs> the, if you're paying attention, yeah, wanting, wanting, or if you're really good, pleasant, 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 pleasant. But if you get caught in wanting, 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 after a while, it's like this rush. It comes and then it goes. That's just part of being human. Let's talk about about the, the positive side, the non-greed side. And uh, Don gave a, a beautiful talk on renunciation or simplifying how good it is when you can let go of that craving, of that grasping. Notice the moment when you have a choice to either stir the pot in your mind and just go for it or say, I don't need to go there. Because you can have a choice if you catch it soon enough. Do I really want to go down this road again? And when you let go of it, or if a lot of times in the, in the dining room, it's, it's a place for many people that's a very significant area in their practice. And I really, I respect so much people who work with that dimension of their practice in a wholehearted way. That we all have something that, that gets to us, but just seeing, oh, should I go for you know, a second helping or for that, which I know is not going to feel good uh, after because of my, my system. 
and notice the moments where you don't act on it and how it feels afterwards. You might, in fact, reflect on how is this going to feel afterwards. The power of delayed gratification, not now. It feels so good when you care for yourself that way. And then the the beautiful expression of non-greed, which is caring, compassion, generosity, service. How good it feels. The, our generosity is a kind of, uh, it's the currency of our caring that when we are generous with our, with our things or with our time, with our care, it feels good. Is it, uh, Martin Seligman, the father of positive psychology, says, and who wrote this book, Authentic Happiness, the, really the, uh, the seminal uh, book on positive psychology. He said, the, the greatest source of happiness is finding your own gifts and sharing them with others for the benefit of others. That's the real happiness, as uh, the Dalai Lama says. Is it? Uh, if, you, if you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. What he calls selfish altruism which he says is a good thing because you are the one that benefits from it. It feels good for you. Not, oh, aren't I a wonderful person, but it's, oh, I can, I can offer something that will benefit others. I, um, I have a, another story from when my, my, that same retreat, as I think about it, that's like a lot happened in that, that retreat. Um, where I was doing the dishes, I was, I was assigned pot washing. In those days, it, they assigned you. They didn't wait for the volunteer. Um, and there I was washing all of these pots by myself, feeling sorry for myself <laughs> because there were a lot of pots and I wanted to get to the next sitting. I was really on fire and, oh, I got to do all these pots. <laughs> And out of the, the staff room at IMS the, in earlier days, the staff room came right out to the, to the pot washing area, to the, to the kitchen area. And the manager um, had something wrapped in aluminum foil. And he looked at me, what he thought I was doing such a diligent job of service. And he looked and he said, here, this is for you. For, for all the service that you're giving to us. Wow. I was in silence, so I didn't say anything uh, about my, my state of mind then. I just kind of bowed. And I had a whole other reason for doing the, the pots efficiently. And finally, when I dried my hands, opened up the tinfoil, there was this big piece of cheesecake with glaze and almonds and like everything you could 
conjure up. By that point in the retreat, an extra slice of bread was a big deal at tea. Two slices of bread. And here was this piece, big piece of cheesecake, right? I closed it. I opened it. It was still there. <laughs> and, and, you know, you start feeling as probably you have that, that feeling of generosity where you, your, your heart just opens up and it spills over. And besides, it was a big piece of cake. So I cut it into uh, four pieces and I put three pieces in the dishes of my yogi uh, brothers and sisters, Starmer brothers and sisters. In those days, you put your you you had your own place for your uh, for your plate and bowl and stuff. They didn't. You washed your own and you put it back, right? So I there's not much else to do. You know where everybody's dishes are, right? And so I put it in three different bowls. And I waited until tea time. And each person's eyes popped open and their jaw dropped when they saw their piece of little surprise cheesecake in them. I ate my cake really mindfully. Don't worry. I was there for it, for every morsel. It lasted maybe, you know, 90 seconds or so. (laughs) But this is 43 years later, I still feel connected to four other people. The manager, Jim, the three people who I put it in. Last one was my good buddy, Howie Cohn, uh, another teacher here. And one piece of cheesecake, and I feel connected to everyone. That's how generosity can work. Think of something in your, in your life, uh, at your home, a gift that somebody gave you. Maybe a sweater or a mug or something like that. Can you think of something? Don't you think of that person every time you use it? Oh, thank you. So, like I said, that generosity is just the currency of our caring and our connection. Every moment that you're mindful of the pleasant without holding on to it is a moment of non-grasping. Non-greed. Non-hatred or non-aversion. When it's an unpleasant moment and we have that very human response, I don't like, no. We are causing Suffering in that contraction. Not that you should like the unpleasant, but when you're caught, you're caught in that response that agitates the mind and it can go oh, the whole gamut from mild aversion to 
uh, anger and hatred and, um, and ill will. You have a choice, the Buddha says, simply to notice this is unpleasant and how can I deal skillfully with it without closing my heart? Mm. And there's lots of good reasons to be angry in this world. You know, as as one of my, uh, one of my, Inspiration says, if you're not angry or not outraged, you're asleep. But to not get stuck there, because if you do, you're just adding to more anger and ill will. As the Buddha famously said, hatred never ceases from hatred. Hatred only ceases from love. This is an ancient an eternal law. Anger, it's called, uh, the, it, it's with, it has a crest of honey and a poison root, the Buddha calls it. It's like, yeah, justifiably, yeah, they deserve, blah, blah, blah. But you're the one that's getting hurt. You know, that image of, It's like picking up a hot coal, wanting to hurt somebody and not realizing you're the one that's getting burned, right? Or you, you're carrying around some, some anger and, uh, and hatred, uh, for someone for a long time. And every time you think of them, they might be on a, a, a beach in Kauai having a great time, but you pull out that memory. Yeah. Right. Who's getting burned? This is Nelson Mandela, who I was, I was reading for, for this talk, just reading again about his amazing mm, practice of loving his prison guards who became close friends. And he just loved them into connection. He says, no one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than hate. So, want to talk a little bit about different levels of this non-hatred, this non-aversion. And it starts with ourself. You know, uh, was the other day I, I offered a forgiveness practice, and I, I hope if you were here that it landed about just appreciating this amazing body that's serving us all the time until something goes wrong and then we don't even think about it. And then, oh, that could go wrong. Uh, but it serves us so miraculously. What's your relationship to your body? Are you angry with it? 
as it just follows its own laws, its own natural unfolding of sensations under the rule of impermanence? Or can you send it love and appreciation for doing the best it can to serve you? How is your relationship to your mind? This amazing thing that has all of these thoughts, creative thoughts and solving problems and um, creates visions, creates really your, your life. You know, we are what we think with our thoughts. We make the world, as the Buddha says. Do you get angry with it? Or can you see how, what an amazing gift it's, it's, it has, it is that you've been given and can be trained. You don't train the mind by hating it. All you do is train more aversion and self-judgment and self-loathing. <clears throat> How are you towards this heart with all of its amazing capacities for feeling love and compassion and joy and peace and generosity, all of the beautiful qualities, along with, it comes from in the package, Anger, ill will, confusion. That's just part of being human. And the more you can, the more you can see that, the more you can understand your own koan of coming to terms with seeing this is just following its own laws and it can be trained. And hatred, self-hatred is not the way the more you learn to love this embodiment of life, the more you start to appreciate everything else around you. And so this is an, an act of generosity and connection when you learn to love the whole package. This is from Solzhenitsyn. If only it were so simple if only there were evil people somewhere insid insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? So the more you can see the human experience right in here, the more you feel a connection to everyone. And this, this takes practice, of course, particularly around people who are, through their own ignorance, confused and hurting others. This is from a poet I've recently discovered uh, in the last few years named Daniel Bayliss, B-A-Y-L-I-S. He says, as you move through this world, you will bump against people who have unfinished hurt. Unfinished hurt might look like shame, anger, silence, 
performative happiness. Despite best containment efforts, the holder of the hurt will eventually let it slip out. Don't shun those with unfinished hurt. Make space. Listen to their stories. Share whatever excess love you have to spare. But it is imperative to know that the conclusion is ultimately solo work that you yourself will never be able to finish someone else's hurt. Now you want to have healthy boundaries, take care of yourself, prevent people from doing unskillful things with with a spirit of of compassion and understanding for their confusion. Like I've said before, one of my favorite of all spiritual teachings is, is Jesus saying, forgive them, they know not what they do. Mm. A few years ago, I I was in, um, uh, I live in Berkeley, and I was in the university, uh, UC Berkeley, and I was in the halls in in Berkeley, and there was this big, big poster um, with a picture of a very sad boy. And um, the caption read, a child raised in a family of domestic violence is 700 times more likely to have domestic violence in their adulthood. It stopped me in my tracks as I thought about how it's all passed on and on and on. And when I read that and really took it in, it just occurred to me, who's to blame? Who to blame in that chain reaction of causes and conditions and causes and conditions? And if you have that kind of trauma in your background, you're the fortunate one because somehow you've found the Dharma. And there's something that's pulled you through that can stop that conditioning. And knowing suffering can be one of your greatest gifts where you stop that conditioning being passed on and you turn your suffering into compassion. And you can be there for others in a way that um, people who don't know that level of suffering um, can't. So I think of it as if you've heard the Dharma deeply and you have some pain and, and wounding in your background, this has all been part of your um, bodhisattva training. This is your curriculum that you've been given to do, to be there for others in that way. So, non-aversion, non-hatred towards yourself, towards others, Kindness and loving towards yourself, opening, keeping your heart open to others as best you can. And then another level of 
non-hatred or love that I, I want to share. Um, and this is um, your love of practice that's brought you here. And at times, this can be a kind of seeming like a fairly fairly dry practice. You know, like I said, when I went to, to study and be in that scene with Ramdas, uh, I was sitting in my apartment in New York and all by myself. There was no Sangha at the time. This was 1975, at least, that I knew of. Um, and um, and so I went to interview with uh, with Ramdas because it was getting really lonely. Like, and it was I needed some some juice. Uh, I believed in in Vipassana and in Buddha Dharma, but uh, it, it was a bit dry. So I went to Ramdas to have this. Um, interview to see if it was appropriate for me to be in it. And I said, look, this is what I've, what I've been into these, this last couple of years, and it's really you know, been the best thing in my life. Uh, but Maharaji changed my life, and I, I really feel I, I need this, so I want to see if it, it, if it can work for me to be in it. And he said, okay, well, you'd be the one heavy-duty Buddhist in this place. Let's just see. And he said, let me, let me ask you, uh, how do you feel about Jesus? Do you love Jesus? I said, I like Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if I love Jesus. Like, I sense maybe you think, you know, just... I love his teachings are amazing. I don't know if I love Jesus. He said, okay, well, how about Krishna? Do you love Krishna? I said, I like Krishna. (laughs) He just the embodiment of celebration and, 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 um, and love of, of life. I don't know if I love Krishna though. I had to be honest. He said, well, how about God? Do you love God? And I said, well, Ramdas, when I, when I was younger, the, the word God, uh, I must have had some kind of a, a kid's Bible book uh, and this picture of God, because it's in my mind, God is this really powerful, scary man with a big beard and a book and a pen or some writing implement saying, you're going to have a good day and you're going to have a bad day. (laughs) So instead of loving God, I had the fear of God in me. But when I hear the word God, I translate it as the Dharma, just the perfection of it all. And how the mystery of it all, how it all hangs together and the perfection. And he said, oh, okay. And he said, well, do you love the Dharma? 
And that, there was no hesitation. I said, oh, absolutely. He said, you're sure? I said, absolutely. And then he said, have you ever told the Dharma that you loved it? <laughs> I said, no. He said, well, go ahead. I said, what do you mean? He said, say it. Say, I love you, Dharma. I said, really? <laughs> and he said, yeah, go ahead. I'll say it with you. Go ahead. Okay, that's what he wanted. I'll say it. I love you, Dharma. And he said, I love you, Dharma. He said, keep saying it. And I said, I love you, Dharma. He said the same. And about the third or fourth time, I just really felt it. I love you, Dharma. And, uh, and, Tears started rolling down my face, at which point he said, oh, there's hope for you yet. <laughs> okay, you can come in. And I, I think it's something we all really need to um, understand and celebrate whether or not you think in those terms you love this stuff. Why would you sign up for something so crazy as to sit here in silence for a month unless there was something really deep inside of you that you couldn't ignore? And so just to think of it in those terms, your love of the Dharma, what in the, in the teachings is called... Um, Chitta idipata, one of the bases of success, where when you've been touched by the Dharma, it's like a, a moth to a flame. You can't help it. And there's varying degrees of it. So don't feel, oh, if I, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling that much. You don't have to go, this is not a, a comparing test or, a, a, you know, we're not, we're not giving out grades here. Just get in touch with what it is that made you sign up for one month or two months that said, I'm going for it. And if you can get in touch with that sadha, like uh, um, was, uh, that Kirsten was speaking of yesterday, just that sadha, put your heart you're putting your heart into this. That's your magic ingredient. So, non-greed, non-hatred. And remember, every moment that you are relating to an unpleasant moment with an open heart, non-hatred, allowing it, opening to it, welcoming it as the next teacher in your life, you are cultivating that quality of open-heartedness. And then the third, non-delusion, or seeing clearly what does that mean? On, on the one hand, On the one hand, 
It means not getting lost and spacing out on the moment. Not feeling going into boredom. Seeing clearly what's here and on a deeper level, non-delusion is not identifying with your experience as my thought, emotion, sensation, my body, my mind, but simply seeing as causes and conditions of life playing itself through you. And in the teachings, it is seeing through three distortions of experience called the vipalasas or distortions of experience. That is taking what is impermanent to be permanent. That is when there's a, a difficult situation and you think, oh, I'm stuck here. Will I ever get through this? We can forget while we're in the middle of that down cycle or wow, I finally got my life together. I've been working hard and I finally, finally got it together. Yeah. Clear selling from here on in. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> taking what's impermanent to be permanent, taking what is suffering to be happiness. That is thinking that grasping on and possessing experience, attaching, is how happiness is gained when it's really the cause of suffering. And taking what is selfless to be self, some fixed self called me. Mm. The Buddha calls this I-making, or I, me, my making. But on the one hand, yes, you are a unique pattern of life, but you are not separate from the rest of life. And when you see this body-mind process of thoughts, feelings, emotions, a continual flow of experience, then you see life isn't happening to me. It's happening through me or as me. And uh, just a simple little mental exercise that I find helpful to, to see this. I've shared this before. Uh, this is Buckminster Fuller's pointing. I want to give him um, credit. And just close your eyes for a moment. And first, think of yourself as a noun. A person. A thing. Me. Yep, that's me. This body, this mind. Me, with a name. And now, shift and see yourself as a verb, 
as a field of experience, a field of activity, all the different biological systems happening, your blood, your nervous system, your immune system, so many things happening, countless things happening, all without you figuring anything out. You are a verb. And just relax into that. And it's all happening without you even trying to do anything. You are life living through this form called you. And you're both a noun and a verb. But don't get stuck in the nounness. Don't think that life is just happening to you. It's happening through you. It's life knowing itself through this form. Here's a, another Daniel Bayless poem that I love. <clears throat> you are but a collection of atoms working together in temporary harmony before being dispersed back into the universe. Your earthly task is to help those atoms radiate. Imagine the simplicity. You need not achieve anything but gently glow. I'll read it again. You are but a collection of atoms working together in temporary harmony before being dispersed back into the universe. Your earthly task is to help those atoms radiate Imagine the simplicity. You need not achieve anything but gently glow. Another way to see yourself. Non-delusion. No need to take ownership of any experience. It's all causes and conditions, causes and conditions, playing through this beautiful expression of life called you. And to honor it and to celebrate the gifts that you have, they're both yours and not yours. The freedom that comes from that. Every moment that you are mindful without identifying with your experience is a moment of non-delusion, true wisdom. Every moment that you are noticing the pleasant without grasping, noticing the unpleasant without aversion, and noticing 
the neutral without getting lost or taking ownership, you are sowing the seeds for happiness in the moment and in future moments. And that's how you're transforming suffering into happiness, moment by moment. I'll just close with one last poem around this that I love, uh, another Dana Falls poem. Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward. Just this breath. Awareness, knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath. Awareness, waking up to truth. So we can just sit for a few moments. Thank you very much for your kind attention. So, you know, walking every moment, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion, plant those seeds and uh, we'll come back for some chanting and maybe another little treat at the end. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.